You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Brian Fanzo, iSocial Fans here again. And we are talking, you know, episode 90, which is beyond exciting, you know, for not only, you know, this podcast, but 90 days, right? 90 days uh, since we launched back on uh, November 11th. And, you know, we've learned so much, you know, along the way. And I think, you know, for those that have been on this journey, you know that, you know, 93 is actually a number that is important to me as it was my hockey number. And it's a number that I always kind of, uh, you know, connect to giveaways and, and things that we're doing. You know, I awarded, you know, the first 1,093 uh, holders of the ADHD coin uh, a free NFT. We have now just hit over 1,300 uh, holders of the ADHD coin, which is pretty wild to think because all that's happened uh, in the last couple of days. And so, you know, one of the things that I wanted to kind of just put out there, you know, discuss kind of stress is, you know, when I look back across these 90 days, and even when I think about these, uh, you know, the journey that I've been on with NFTs, you know, I make it pretty clear that I don't think uh, of myself as an expert. I don't think of myself as someone that knows everything. And I think part of the beauty with this whole space is that even what we knew back 90 days ago, so much of it has evolved to where we're going today. But with that being said, there are some things either, you know, I, w- I would say they were mistakes, but they were actually probably, I would actually argue for me, they were a lack of education or understanding where, you know, NFT value existed. And so that's where I really want to kind of dial this episode in on is really when we think about, you know, the value of NFTs and the idea of it being really for no better, you know, for, you know, kind of clearing the air is that it's a, it's a token that is on the blockchain that allows us to have, you know, a conveyed amount of value and ownership. But just because, you know, something is labeled as an NFT, or even just because something is actually an NFT doesn't mean all NFTs are created equal. And I will say part of this discussion is about the blockchains, right? The, and I've, I've highlighted, you know, we've, we've purchased a different NFT on nine different blockchains um, in our you know, background. And I've gotten this question a lot on Brian, like, what is your futurist prediction for the, the blockchain as far as, you know, NFTs? And my, my prediction has always been, I believe right now it's about where the attention lies, but in the future, it's going to be around what functionality, like what is the primary value and use case of each blockchain? And then the, the, the NFTs that, that need to maximize that 
underlying technology will be on that blockchain. So for example, ones that are heavy in the sense of needing the, what gaming uh, you know, apps or gaming NFTs need will probably sit on the Solana blockchain more so than what Ethereum might be, right? Not only because of, of gas fees, but because of the speed and because of some of the scale aspects that are brought there. But here's the truth. You know, I'm a big Olympics fan. And, you know, just to put this in context, uh, I love competition. I love, you know, dedication that people have to their craft. Uh, I'm a big sucker for those that sacrifice to achieve something that is a lifelong dream or achieve something that most people would say that they can't actually achieve, right? And that's something that I really value. And, and, you know, so much so, you know, I set my alarm this morning for 3 a.m., uh, because Lindsay Jacobellis, who is known as the, you know, one of the greatest snowboarders of all time, except for, especially for um, snowboard cross, uh, she, you know, back, you know, this is her fifth Olympics. And back in her first Olympics, many might know her only because of uh, the fact she celebrated early and ended up catching an edge and crashing and not getting the gold medal. She celebrated when she had a massive, you know, gold medal lead. Yet she has more World Cup wins. I believe they said that she's participated in 100 World Cup events and she's made 52 podiums. So like over 50% of the time she's been on the podium. And, and I, I say all of that because I'm a, I'm a massive fan. And watching this morning, I woke up at 3 a.m. And the way it works is she, has, she had to end up running four races over a couple hour period. You know, it's qualification, it's the bracket, the semifinals, the quarters, and then the finals. And she ended up winning the whole thing and like feeling that relief on her face and like, like understanding of like what she sacrificed and her commitment really like, Oh, it hit home for me. I, I, I loved every second of it. I even got emotional uh, watching it because for me, like knowing that she was labeled as the greatest ever yet on probably the greatest, largest stage ever. um, She hadn't been able to redeem herself from this like one simple mistake that any of us would have made. And I, I say all that because I, I was excited, you know, and I was like, man, Lindsay has an opportunity to really play in to the NFT space, right? Because she has a, a brand. She is also, you know, a model. She also not only is, you know, great at snowboarding, but she's a surfer and she skateboards and, um, and you know, and she's also drop dead gorgeous, uh, to state the obvious. And when I, when I hit Google and I was like, oh, she has an NFT, it dawned on me for a couple of reasons. And then I, you know, I went and checked out Sean White. I'm a, of course, if you live snowboarding, um, you kind of have to love uh, Sean White. And I went and found out like, oh, Sean White also has an NFT. But here's the thing about those NFTs. First of all, I was surprised that I wasn't aware of them because I'm pretty dialed into this space and I'm not locked into just certain types of NFTs. But it reminded me of some mistakes that I've made in this NFT journey. And so much so that I've bought some NFTs that I wanted to use as examples for this podcast that it took me like 30 minutes of going through my Gmail to figure out where those NFTs actually even are. And it's not because of the blockchain that they're on, right? And I think that's the mistake that I've made on this podcast is I've always connected like the the blockchain as the, as like, kind of like, you know, Hey, right now the attention's on Ethereum. Um, and that's, you know, because of OpenSea. Well, Polygon NFTs 
are able to live on OpenSea at the moment. And very soon we're going to see Solana NFTs uh, be able to be leveraged uh, on OpenSea. And and some breaking news for those that use uh, the Rainbow Wallet. Uh, I'm a fan of the Rainbow Wallet. I prefer MetaMask, but I have, of the wallets I have, of the five wallets I have, one of them is uh, the Rainbow.me wallet. And uh, they just recently announced that they're, they actually have, they support Solana now, right? So I use the Phantom wallet with Solana and I might not need to, be able to use that now if I want to use um, the Rainbow wallet. But I say all of that because it sounds a little bit confusing and disconnected, but it's even a little bit more, a little bit worse than that. Because when I looked at, you know, Lindsay Jacob Ellis and Sean White's NFTs, the thing I realized was they're, they're also hosted on other marketplaces. And in some cases, this is, those are marketplaces that are siloing themselves in the NFT game. So yes, they might be on Polygon, they might be on an L1 or an L2 of Ethereum, but they're not able to be displayed in other marketplaces because of kind of the way this is all kind of buckled together. And you know, a great way to explain this would be kind of what we've seen with Spotify in the podcasting world, right? And I'm not going to get into the Joe Rogan drama, but, you know, Joe Rogan, Brene Brown, who is one of my heroes, um, are exclusive on Spotify. So they made the decision, rather than being available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, uh, you know, iHeartRadio, Player FM, uh, Amazon Music, they decided they were going to go exclusive to where you only can listen to them on Spotify. And I will say, like, my favorite podcast uh, of the last five years, four years, I guess, um, is Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. And, and Armchair Expert made the same decision. Rather than being available everywhere, they decided to sil- and be only available on Spotify. And there's some benefits there. Of course, they're getting paid and there's some exclusivity rights. But there's also some limitations there, right, on uh, new discovery, right? If someone is not searching for their podcast on Google or on Spotify and they're looking maybe in Apple or in Google podcasting, they and they just type something like lifestyle podcast or vulnerability podcast, which is what Brene Brown would fall under, Brene Brown's would not come up because she has gone exclusive. And interestingly enough, there are some Ethereum NFTs and including Sean White and Lindsay Jacobellis entities that are on a blockchain that is the more popular blockchain at the moment, but they're using marketplaces that have siloed them. Now, this might sound like, well, Brian, if you're aware of that NFT living there, then is it really that big of a deal? Here's, here's the catch-22 in this scenario. It took me 30 minutes to figure out where like a couple of my NFTs were, right? Like I have an NFL NFTs, I have some NFTs on the the VV app, which is like the the Disney collector, you know, Marvel series um, app that's only on your phone. And it might be, you know, it's already confusing enough for me as the owner of NFTs, but here's the truth. If it's con- that much confusing for me to find them where they're at on which you know platform they're using, it's even more confusing and disconnected for the audience that might want to buy my NFT or buy similar NFTs to increase the value, right? And and the thing that I think is missed in this is that we often think about it and say, well, Brian, if if you're going to hold that NFT for four years, we'll, we'll connect this like like the Olympics, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna diamond hand this NFT for four years. Does it matter that the NFT marketplace 
is siloed? And I would say yes, not because I, I need to sell my NFT, but let's face it, the, the, the value of an NFT is, not, is, is in the idea of supply and demand. And the demand conversation is what we really have to focus on. And if the demand is not there only because people are not you know, randomly discovering it or when they all of a sudden buy in on NFTs, I'm sure many of you that are listening to this podcast, you're like, well, Brian, I, I only thought about looking for NFTs on Ethereum and Solana. Well, that's because that's kind of where I've kind of focused the attention. But you have things like FTX. You have things like, you know, uh, side chains like Rally. Rally is where um, we're hosting some of our NFTs, right? And I will say that's also a limitation on our Rally NFTs. So much so that I decided to spend more money and I have my NFTs for the podcast hosted on Rally. But also I created a, an NFT twin that I put on Polygon so that you could see it in OpenSea. And so the mistake that I, I, I feel that is made here is a, is a big one. And the big one is if an NFT is nothing more than a collectible that lives online, we are really minimizing, like minimizing the ultimate value of NFTs. And it's not just happening across random different NFT networks. It's also happening on the distrib distribution of additional NFTs. And for those that don't know, like for a lot of the projects, if you buy one NFT, they'll airdrop you additional NFTs, which might sound really cool. But if that NFT does not have any utility or underlying value or demand, it's kind of a waste. And this has got really bad right now, in my opinion, because everyone, every collection is having a baby, uh, a mutant, uh, a, a twin, uh, a, you know, if it's a crypto dad, there's a crypto moms. Well, the problem with the crypto moms rollout versus crypto dads was for whatever reason, people as a whole, partially because if you had a crypto dad, all you had to do was pay for gas for a crypto mom. The, the intrinsic value of that crypto mom was much lower. And although I would argue that the crypto mom NFT art is actually better than the crypto dad NFT art, because we all only had to pay gas, people were willing to sell them for next to nothing. And the value has stayed so low that in a way, you know, I paid $180 in gas, and I'm not even sure if it was worth it for that second NFT that I quote unquote got for free because of the first NFT I have. Now, in the crypto mom scenario, I believe wholeheartedly the goal was to add a layer of inclusivity. It was also something that was there the entire time. Other NFT projects are doing this not with malicious intent, but with, in my opinion, lack of budgetary intent. What I mean by that is, when, when an NFT collection rolls out and they have their roadmap and they say, when we sell out, we're going to do these five things. Well, they didn't factor in the fact that they're going to need to market and hire people and probably building something in the metaverse is going to cost them more money than they thought. And paying people on their team is going to cost more money than they thought. And they wanted to take out more for their individual salaries. Well, all of a sudden, even with secondary sales, they don't have as much budget. So the question becomes like, where do they get that budget? Well, maybe they're going to tap back in and they're going to say, you know what, we're going to roll out another collection. And if you already have one of these NFT or one of our original NFTs, 
we're going to give you the second one for 0.02 ETH. And we're going to, you know, sell a certain amount of those. And then we're going to open up the full collection of this new set for 0.6 ETH, which might sound like, wow, they're giving us a deal. But I believe a lot of that is another money grab from people that already feel bought in. And there's a little bit of a psychology play there, right? Because if I already have the main NFT and I have the opportunity to get a discounted of the second NFT, and if I don't do that, am I missing out on some of my value of what the original reason was for holding this NFT? Now, there are exceptions to this, right? Like Crypto Chicks, a project that I am absolutely a fanboy of, they're doing what they're calling like the baby potion, um, where the your crypto chick will have a baby version of the crypto chick, um, you know, and the art is amazing. And there's lots of you know uh, elements of the story and why they're doing that. And they're also kind of playing this into like a bigger branding scenario, right? Where they're going to be able to bring in you know brands that look at this from a uh, you know, a mother perspective, look at this from a um, the kind of an overarching perspective. But here's here's the problem with this is, you know, I have almost 500 plus NFTs in my in my bag for both my personal and and our M- NFT 365 collection. And the fact that the trend I'm seeing is so many additional add-ons, but they're not doing it to, you know, increase the ultimate value or understanding that like this might actually diminish the value. They're actually doing it for, hey, we, if we can, if these people already bought in and we got their money, let's see how much more money we can get from them. And I don't think that's out of a greed perspective for the most part. It's the idea of, you know, this continuing to not know the unknown and continuing to maximize. And I will say for a lot of the collections that I see doing this, I'm actually taking a new strategy and I'm actually selling mine ahead of time. Because as soon as I see that, that, you know, kind of lost, you know, uh, plan and needing to have a fourth collection and a fifth collection. Now I start to get a little bit concerned on, are they really going after their goals? Are they continuing to just maximize profit while they think they have the attention of, you know, the NFT holders today? And so this all as a whole, the idea that so many NFTs are being, are, are being de- deployed on disconnected networks, this is a problem. You know, and I will tell you, the NFL is a great example at the Super Bowl. The Olympics, a great example of what's happening with the Olympics is that there, you know, I I looked and there are Olympic NFTs that are on this platform called fanzone.io. Now, I like the name. My last name is Fanzo. They have Fanzone. I actually own the the copyright for Fanzone Sports Bar because when I was younger, my like goal was to own Fanzone, uh, you know, sports bar uh, as like kind of my like dream job. Before I realized how much work went into owning a, a sports bar, but um, but like that collection, like I was like, oh, Fanzone.io, what is this? And I was like, oh, it's another marketplace. That's another place that it's siloed, and so much so that a lot of these places. They, they don't even allow like MetaMask to show us the NFTs. And it's kind of like crypto in a way where if you're, you know, if you're buying the main, uh, you know, let's say the, the main set of cryptocurrency, right? Like the most popular coins, hey, you're, you're pretty much set, right? You can go on Coinbase, you can go on crypto.com, which I've been, uh, you know, spending a little bit more time on crypto.com. You can go on a lot of these exchanges, but if you're buying a lot of what they call the shit coins or the altcoins, they're only available on things like PancakeSwap or SushiSwap or some of these other side networks, which 
part of that reason is, is they're still, you know, trying to prove legitimacy to be able to be offered on those main exchanges. Because even Doge, which many of people are familiar with Dogecoin, for the longest time, you couldn't trade that on any of the most popular exchanges, even after Elon Musk um, had tweeted about it. It took a while before it was actually available on um, the main exchanges. And so what I've noticed is that the crypto space, which of course started before the NFT space, is starting to, to onboard coins into these public exchanges at a little bit more rapid space. And the exchanges as a whole are pretty uh, similar across the board. The marketplaces in the NFT space are not that way. If you look at Magic Eden, you look at uh, OpenSea, you look at Looks Rare, and you look at FTX. Not only are the interfaces of all of these different, but which NFTs are allowed to live on each of them are different. Like some of the, the, the actual marketplaces allow you to, to buy CryptoPunks, for example, on all of them. Others don't allow you to buy CryptoPunks on only a couple of them, right? Or maybe a couple projects are only available on certain ones. And you would be like, well, Brian, duh, it's because of the, the blockchain they're hosted on. Nope, not necessarily, right? And some of them have different policies on tokenomics and making sure that things aren't presented um, in a way that ends up being um, kind of violating uh, some of the trade agreements and some of the things with the FT, uh, FEC, uh, FTC and the SEC, and so with all that being said, I see a big problem that's going to continue to explode over the next three months is that I will get messages from someone and say, Brian, I got my first NFT. I was sold on it after the Super Bowl or after watching the Olympics. I saw, you know, uh, Lindsay Jacob Ellis and she was amazing. So I bought that NFT. Like, it's so cool, Brian. Like, how do I get it to show up in my MetaMask? And I'm like, oh, well. You can't. Well, how do I get it to show up in my OpenSea can I sh so I can show all my friends that are, uh, are you know, very familiar with OpenSea? Well, you can't. You can only buy it and sell it and trade it on the you know, individual marketplace. Now, in some cases, they allow you to take it off of that marketplace, but it will come with limitations. So, for example, Book Games by Gary Vaynerchuk, if you bought 12 or more of his books, the 12 and a half book, then you got a Book Games NFT. I got one of those. Now, the neat part about the Book Games NFT is that it has lots of gamification built into the NFT. But here's the thing. You can actually take it off of the, the side chain and, and map it to the, the main net and have it visible in OpenSea, but... What Gary has you know, explained is if you do that, you lose the benefits that exist for keeping it on the sidechain. So all of this just adds complexity, it adds disconnection, and it really adds confusion to a market and to a culture and community that, in my opinion, already has way too much confusion, way too much going on. And so what I say to all of that is be very aware of if you're buying an NFT, and although you're buying it with Ethereum or you're buying it with your Coinbase account, I want you to think through, okay, if I'm buying it here, where is it going to live? And if I want to put it for sale, how does that look? And what are the people that have the attention there? And like I, for example, this weekend, I want to sell my, my NFTs that are for the NFL, not because I don't believe in holding the NFL t, uh, NFTs long term, but I'm betting that the NFL 
re- stops using their individual marketplace for the new season coming up, and they move to a more uh, public marketplace environment. And so I want to get on and sell the NFTs that I hold. I, I think I hold nine NFT, uh, NFL NFTs. I want to sell them now when I have attention. So during the Super Bowl, when NFTs are mentioned, I'm going to be tweeting out, hey, here's, here's an NFT for the, the Cincinnati Bengals. For those that are Bengals fans and they're making the Super Bowl, do you want to have the NFT for the Cincinnati Bengals wildcard game where it was their you know, first playoff win in all these years? I'm a, I, I want to drive attention to this marketplace while the attention is there with the Super Bowl because I can tell you, once the NFL season is done, Super Bowl is over, people aren't going to be going to nft.nfl-live or whatever the, the NFT uh, NFL marketplace is. So with all that being said, the challenge is on to us right now is to be aware of that, educate people on that, but also just know that, hey, there might be value on being other marketplaces. I know lots of my friends that love the VV um, app and love buying the collectibles there and almost like think of them as like they mock the, the public, you know, open sea NFTs, right? Hey, and to each their own, right? For me, I've bought some things in VV, but I actually don't think of them as NFTs. I think of them as collectors, like uh, collectibles, like I do my baseball cards. I'm going to buy them. I'm going to hold on to them. And hopefully when my kids go to college, I can sell them and pay for their college. With the NFTs that I'm holding, I'm going to hold on to them, but I'm going to get value from them right now. I'm going to max, I'm going to get access to online courses and memberships and, and discords. I'm going to get additional NFTs. And that's just my own personal preference on, you know, time and attention and how we're using them. And so I just wanted to put that all out there. And I will say for me, I'm going to try very hard on not buying um, NFTs that are on these segregated, isolated uh, networks over the rest of the year, because I do believe there will be a consolidation. I do believe that a lot of these NFTs that are going to go to zero, as, as Gary Vaynerchuk likes to say, are not going to be ones that are, are where the public attention are. They're going to be on these ones that are really disconnected. And, and I will also say, man, these NFT consultants that are helping people out, man, uh, I, I'm not going to go there. I'll, I'll go there in a different episode. But a lot of them are just trying to capture and say, yeah, launch it on uh, Immutable or launch it over here or hey, yeah, it's fine. As long as it's an NFT, people will go find it. Or as long as you have a big audience and, and we've proven if you're a celebrity, it doesn't matter. If your audience isn't, doesn't truly understand NFTs and if they're not in the crypto space, it's gonna be hard to sell them on that NFT. Even if you give it away to them for free, right? Like Paris Hilton is giving away her NFTs for free. But I also know that like, the short-term value of Paris Hilton's NFTs are gonna not probably not going to be there. Now, long-term, I'm betting on Paris Hilton because I, I believe she understands the market. She understands this environment. She's been in the crypto game before many people even knew crypto was a, a thing. And we might like laugh at that because of her being a reality star or the daughter of a, you know, of a, a billionaire or even the idea that she was uh, more in the TMZ spotlight. But she knows her stuff. Versus a celebrity that might have a massive audience, let's say like, you know, and you have to kind of really you know, think about it from the standpoint of like where that involvement is versus like where these all these things kind of fit in. And so for me, I, I just think we need to be aware of that. We need to educate our friends and our family on it. And I will tell you, 
if you're in this space, you're going to get a lot of people during the Olympics, during the Super Bowl, and even during March Madness that are going to message you and say, hey, I got this NFT, or even the upcoming Batman movie, right? AMC is launching. If you go to the Batman movie in the IMAX theater, you can get an AMC um, NFT. Well, where does that NFT live? Oh, it lives in my AMC app. Or if I'm going to go to my upcoming concert, I'm like, oh, sweet, this concert has an NFT and it's on the Polygon network. Nice. Oh, guess what? It lives in the Ticketmaster app and the Ticketmaster app doesn't allow it to be hosted or be visible in OpenSea. Now, some of these restraints might change. It's like Spotify podcasts, right? They might eventually allow some of their exclusive art, um, you know, podcasters to distribute on YouTube or distribute on a couple of the channels that they want to. But until they get there, you're going to take, there's going to be some risk and some loss by getting the gain of going exclusive on some of these platforms. So at the moment, I'm bullish on non-exclusive NFT marketplaces, but I'm also bullish on we're going to have to, we're going to have a year from now, we're going to have the same conversation because we're going to see NFTs that originally launched on Ethereum recognize that their their utility is going to be better hosted on Cardano, right? Or better hosted with um, you know on some of the other side chains that exist, like Palm. But until we get there, there's going to be kind of this feeling out part you know period. And I just hope people don't fall victim to well, I bought an NFT and it was useless because I was on some app that I forgot. And then we lose them from the real value of this NFT space. So uh, hopefully you guys thought, uh, you know, found value in that and uh, enjoyed uh, this episode. I will say, you know, this is episode 90, Um, you know, leading into episode 100, we're going to start rolling out our proof of podcast uh, concept. So those of you that are listening, we're going to be able to give keywords out. I'm going to be giving you free NFTs upcoming. Uh, If you are in our discord, if you hold ADHD coin, um, and you might want to hold, you know, 11 ADHD coin. Uh, we have some really cool bonuses, some things coming down the pipe for you. If you hold our founders NFTs or our super fans NFTs, which we have a little bit, a little bit more than a hundred of those left uh, super fans NFTs, uh, we're going to be able to roll out some whitelist and some really cool bonuses for you um, that are holding them. And so uh, I know that might sound chaotic and disconnected, and I'm trying my best to simplify all of this noise and. And really translate the geek speak because uh, that's my goal. That's my mission here. And I, I hope that you guys are excited as I am to come on this mission and join us on this journey. If you want to check out the coin, it's just ADHDcoin.com. And if you want to be more like dialed in, like Brian, I don't want to miss all of these things that you have going on. Just do me a favor. Follow NFT365 podcast on all the social channels and make sure you check out nft365podcast.com. So that's where we're going to update. As soon as we buy an NFT every day, we have it put being it posted up there on the website. We have our, uh, as soon as an episode goes live, we have a blog post that is up there on the website. We also have an email newsletter where you can get uh, you know updates on uh, some of the things, maybe highlights from some of the episodes we have. And we have some really cool uh, sponsors of the podcast that are, are going to be joining us very soon. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks for joining us on this journey. The first 90 days are in the books, but we got a long way to go. And as I said at the start, I can't picture a time right now where we're not doing this podcast even after season one is done on November 11th. So um, buckle up, jump in, 
enjoy the ride, share your feedback. I would love it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. Um, That would massively help us here as uh, podcasters. But uh, until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers.